So this week I'm going on and we're going to talk about the process we were looking at last week. And this is part two of four in defense of the faith, which is important for us. And does right or wrong really matter at all? I was uh, looking at this book, and I mentioned to you this book uh, by Justin Bernley, uh, Unbelievable. And as I was looking at that and finding out that book, I was intrigued by the documents and the things that he shared with there. It, he also has a radio program called by the same title in this young man in England. It's on a Christian radio station, but he invites people from different points of view to come and share, and they have this discussion. And often it deals with naturalism, with atheism, with agnostics and others as they talk back and forth. He tries to be a neutral moderator. Well, that book was shared with me by Linda Courtright, I found out. Did you, and you didn't say anything to me about it. Anyway, thank you, Linda. It was a great book. I appreciate it very much. Um, and I enjoyed reading it, so it's appreciated. But last week we looked at several aspects and particularly We mentioned about the gift of gravity that was given to us, about the fine-tuning of the universe, and how if the gravity was just off just the slightest little bit, one to one trillion, 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 that we would be unable to sustain life on our planet. It is amazing the fine-tuning that God had given. So second part, we're moving off the science part. And we're going to go on to more of a philosophy today, a little bit, and look at you this morning and say, are humans of any value? Of any value. So if you take the naturalist point of view, if you look at the naturalism around us and how many in the scientific community and in others, in the atheist community, they go on and say, we are going to go and grow. And how did it come about? Well, naturalism, they say. And naturalism is the view that all of ultimately exists is matter, hard stuff, and energy to make it go. And they interact according to the blind forces of nature. The blind forces of nature. In other words, it is there that we all exist purely by chance, by that matter and by that energy that came together. And as it worked its way out, that's how it comes. So then the natural question from that comes then, are we of any value whatsoever? Or we just happen to be some type of a biological freak, a chance that happened that here we are. And that we are humans, and that's how it is. Is it that kind of a form that we came about? Are we then, in naturalism, the natural conclusion would be, no, you're not. Because you just happen to be a chance of nature that happened to come by and look at. Well, about 70 years ago, the United Nations had a declaration that they came. This was long before Stu and I were born, of course. Um, Long, actually... Actually, I was alive by this time. Um, so, uh, 70 years ago, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Well, that would be great. They're making this Declaration of Human Rights at the United Nations. And the heart and soul of it was recognition of the inherent dignity and the equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family is a foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world. If we all have the value of seeing the human dignity that was there. So that was their Declaration of Human Rights. Doesn't that sound a little bit like our 
Declaration of Independence and some coming out of the French Revolution and things that happened. So I'd like to ask you this morning, how's that all working for us? So have we achieved world peace? Have we got that kind of as human rights established everywhere? Well, you don't have to go very far to find that it isn't working very well. Just simply declaring that, asking all member nations of the UN to adopt that human alienable rights. But we find conflict all around the world, do we not? In which human life, human life can be snuffed out in an instant and no one cares. Well, it's just people and they're gone. So, in the book, Justin makes the argument that human worth only makes sense if there is a God. Only makes sense if there is a God. I'd like to look at that. He says that's making the moral argument the moral argument. So morality means different things to different people, right? Now think about this. Does morality equal everywhere? Well, take, for example, the concept of gambling. To some people, gambling is absolutely a no-no. You do not gamble whatsoever to have happen with that. You do not gamble. Um, to others, gambling is perfectly okay. There's nothing moral and moral about that, just gambling. Back and forth. It's been interesting. It depends on who you are, what your thinking is, about whether you think gambling is moral or not how you face it, and look at that. So that would be an example of something that was moral. So did we get our moral compass about in our lives from what our parents taught us? This is what a value, our morals, how we get that, what we determine is right and wrong, is passed on. The argument is that we get it from our parents or that we get it from the community of everybody around in which we associate, or perhaps we might get it from our church. We get that particular moral compass to decide what we determine as right and wrong. So the question in naturalism is raised is, so morality is very subjective. It depends on who you are and that there are lots of gray areas, pro and cons, either way. So that raises the question, are there ever, are there ever times when everyone would agree that something is an acceptable behavior or not? Is there, is there a level where no matter where you were, that that would be happening? So are things, are there sometimes things that are always true? Always true. And are there some things that are always wrong for everybody? So if you were in Chicago, it would be wrong. If you were in Bangkok, it would be wrong. If you were in Moscow, it would be wrong. We would all agree that there are certain things that are wrong or certain things that are right. Would that be the way to go? So the question would be, are there any absolutes? Well, in actual fact, those who have a natural point of view look at that, well, we, we really don't want to get into that kind of a discussion and are very uncomfortable about that. But are there? Are there things that are wrong no matter where you are, what society you're in? Is that the way it is? That no matter what happens, and is that the feature? What about something like child abuse? 
is child abuse wrong no matter where? I think generally, we would agree whether we have a Christian background or not, that we would say morally, child abuse is wrong no matter where it is in the world. Never justifiable. Or would we say, as he quotes in his book, he said, the abuse of children and women is always wrong in all times and in all places. It's always wrong. Racism is always wrong, is it not? Always. No matter where you are, no matter what your background or thing, racism is always wrong. So, unbelievable, goes on to say, Justin adds, if something is really wrong, it's wrong for everyone. So when you're talking with a naturalist and atheists say, is it child abuse wrong? Is the raping of women wrong everywhere? And they say, well, you know, maybe circumstances, situations could be where be. No, is it's wrong. No matter where you are, in what society, what place, your background, such things are always wrong. So the question is, how did we get that determined? How do we determine that, that behavior is wrong? This behavior is right. Now, I understand, and I would say from my own personal observation, that laws are not created in a vacuum. They haven't. So, in the U.S. Congress, when they get together, and this is there in double session, but when they get, Congress gets together, they begin to pass laws. How did those laws get started? Well, the law usually gets started because somebody has a problem. So, there's something they're trying to correct some type of law they're trying to pass in order, in order for you to be able to function. Now, sometimes those laws get too complicated, don't they? I tell you, sometimes I just, they drive me crazy, some of the building codes and things. But something happened to take and to make that person get a regulation or a law. So a law comes to fulfill something to prevent, something that just don't create it in a vacuum, which implies that there is a lawgiver behind that, that someone has established the law behind it. I, as a Christian, would say that lawgiver was God to establish that it's morally wrong to abuse children. It's morally wrong to abuse women, no matter where it is, applicable everywhere, that those things are morally wrong. And we set those aside. C.S. Lewis, if you have not gotten acquainted with C.S. Lewis, is an incredible Christian. He was an atheist. And as he was dealing with these philosophical issues, he became a Christian and wrote many, and maybe you know them of the Tales of Narnia, if you've read those books that he wrote for his grandchildren. But he became a great theologian. And began to think, this atheist to theologian, and he would say to himself, my argument against God was that the universe seems to be cruel and unjust. But how had I got the idea of just and unjust? How did that idea come about, he adds. And a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. 
what was I comparing the universe to when I called it unjust? How would I make that decision that this was unjust if I didn't have some kind of a moral line background behind it to make it go? So there are usually five objections that he states in his book. I thought they were quite intriguing. They're just about people and their justification of what it would be. The first one, the objections that they would raise is, I can be a good moral person and not believe in God. Is that true? Yes, it is. I can be a good moral person, not believe in I can not kill anybody. I can um, be kind. I can be generous. I can be all these things and not believe in God at all. That's very true. I can do that. And there are lots of people who do that, live a moral life that way. They have that explanation. But you can't get to your moral values through atheism or naturalism. You can't get there. Because they don't provide it. The natural development, naturalism, that philosophy of just matter and energy, never leads you to moral principles. It doesn't get there. So where did they come from? Number two that they will say to you is, well, there are lots of options out there. I can choose a code of ethics I like. I don't need God. I can just pick the one that I like. It's kind of an interesting philosophy, a different way of looking at it. But in response to that, I say, would your moral code apply to others as well or just to yourself? So I would say that child abuse, for example, is, is morally wrong. And doing so, would I say, therefore, that moral thing of child abuse, of avoiding child, also applies to you as well? Or is it something just for me? So it becomes a difficult problem when you say, well, just it just applies to me, that moral. Well, no, as society, we've already said, it's always wrong wherever it is, wherever it comes from. It's always wrong. Number three, in his book, he states that how can God be the basis of morality when the Bible is full of immorality? Have you noticed that? If you're reading the Bible, you know, there's a lot of characters in there, which by a side, I think it's rather interesting. That God does not sugarcoat the stories in the Bible. Have you noticed that? I mean, the characters. I mean, if you were going to write about a king, and historically, when you wrote about a king and things would say, you always put down the very best stuff. You never put anything negative down. Well, what about King David in the Bible? King David had some serious issues in his life, did he not? Murder, adultery, other issues they were having, lying. Trickery? And yet, God forgave him and said, He's a man after my own heart. But in the scriptures, there was all kinds of problems. Even go back to Abraham. Going back, so there, that issue of happening to them. You don't need, you don't need to believe in the Bible to acknowledge moral values. And you can sense that about that. You don't need to do that. Number four. Evolution drives morality. As society flourishes, we cooperate together. God has nothing to do with that. And that's naturalism, that as we work together as society, and we develop laws, and I can understand that philosophy. We look at that and say, yes, eventually, you know, we decide. We decide as a group that driving 
down the street outside here would be safer if people would drive at 45 miles an hour and not 95 miles an hour. We as a, as a society say, in order to keep safe, we have laws to do that. Some of you have not recognized the 45 mile an hour speed limit. But, but that's the kind of society. So this is kind of a law we've established together. So we grew this law up to protect ourselves from recklessness. And there before we get someone, when someone in blue or a sheriff out there to kind of help us remember to drive 45 on the road outside there. So it's that argument that came about a little bit. And it kind of follows, well, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Remember this golden rule? Jesus is found in many societies. You have that. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. So in that philosophy out there, when I'm driving down the road and going making my way, I don't want you to kill me by running over to me. So in that regard, I'll, I'll give you the same. So... We have kind of established that. But why should anybody uh, have to obey them? Why should we if there's no absolutes and so forth? Why would we have to do that? Tell me how morality came about. Doesn't tell me why I should therefore obey it. It doesn't answer the question. It does not answer. Number five. Is it something good because God commands it? Or does God command it because it's good? So how does that, you know, it kind of a, kind of an interesting dilemma there. Is it, is it that it's good because God commands it? Or is it because God commanded it and then it becomes good? How, how does that work? How does that make? And you get yourself caught on a dilemma. Well, the reality is, and the per- picture of it is that God himself is good by nature. It's his characteristic that he's loving, he's kind, he's generous. He's never vindictive. He does not sin. He is gracious, understanding, full of compassion. That's his character of who he is. So you cannot separate that and say, well, this way or that way. God's wills something because he is himself good. God's own nature determines what is good. So I would ask you, why are we special? Why are humans special? How are humans different than the animals? Well, I have a cat. Had two, one passed away. I have a cat. Cat is 18 years of age. I was promised by the vet it would live 11 to 13 years. It's 18 years and still going. Crazy cat. A cat thinks it's mine. That he, so that cat, she comes and she has to sleep on my bed. Well, cats don't sleep a lot at night. Did you notice that? She sleeps all day. So she, she gets on night. So she has to get on and off the bed all during the night. She comes up, she, and her, one of her favorite positions is to sit right here and put her long, fluffy tail <laughs> right across my mouth. 
I don't have same affection to the cat that the cat has towards me, evidently. <laughs> but we would say that our animals are special, would we? We have special regard for our, for our animals and care, but they're not the same. The cat is not the same as me. The cat is different than me. The cat does not have the ability to judge what is morally right or wrong. The cat does not have the ability to think long range of how I'm going to plan for the future or what I'm going to do or, of course, our cat, 18 years old and just kind of puddles along each day. You know, I take her to the vet and the vet says, oh, she's doing beautifully. You must be taking great care of her. Oh, really? (laughs) Do you have a cat? You know what I mean? But there was something that when the creator bent over and created Adam, that he did something different than he did for every animal before. Because we would recognize that humans, the human race, is different than the animal species, and race if you want to call it that. They're different. They have different faculties, different abilities, different things about them that never had because they fulfill the image of God. They're created in his image. So in doing so, when he, when he gave and created man and he made him special and of value to him, he said, you are the pearl of great price. You are of such value to God that he would die for you. And he did. You are of such value. So your human value comes from God. Now, King Charles, I mean, um, Prince Charles is next in line to get on the throne in England. And as he comes up, as he gets ready for to do that, sometime his mother is going to need to end her reign, whether by death or saying, I'm through. But whatever the case, whatever happens with that, King Charles will come up and will be supposedly the next king of England. Now, how did he get that? How did he get in that line? It wasn't because he was extremely bright. Or that he took some course. Or that he had a lot of money that he paid. The reason he is going to be the king and the throne is because he's the next in heir. He's the bloodline. That's the only reason. It's his value. His only value comes because he's the son of the queen. That's it. It's the only qualification you need. And you become the next one. All of us who accept Christ as our Savior have been adopted into his family, into Christ's family, become his child, heirs according to the promise, the Bible says. Therefore, our value is that we are children of the king. We are his children. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter where you went, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter uh, how educated you are, doesn't matter that that is absolutely worthless, set beside the great concept that you are the king's child. Therefore, you get the inheritance. You get the salvation. You get what it means to live with the king.
the great God of the universe to have happen. So we rejoice, rejoice with that. We rejoice and we see that the great creation that happened, the great gift that God gives, gives us our value and that we have value in him. We praise God that he is the one that values human life above other because he created it. Created it. Dear Lord, I thank you for your creative act. I thank you that we are blessed and honored to have you as our Savior and Lord. Lord, I thank you that we can be your children. Yes, there are moral arguments around and we go back and forth, but whatever determines right and wrong finally ends up and rests in your lap. What is right and what is wrong, no matter where we are, no matter what age, because we are set of your value as your children. In Jesus' name, amen.